with us for a while, a young man. He'd just come from a refugee camp in um, the Philippines. And, um, of course, it's warm there. And he flew into snowy Iowa, got off the plane, and had very little with him. Um, and he knew some English, but he didn't know a whole lot. He didn't know all of the different customs and some of the jokes and things. And I remember once he was, he was sitting and he was playing our piano. And I went up to him, and I, I, I was, you know, young. I was a little girl, and I was messing around. And I just kind of, I just held up my foot, and I said, um, trick or treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat. And he disappeared um, completely out of the house. He was gone. And a while longer, a while later, he came running back. He'd run all the way up to the grocery store, which was over a mile away, and he had a bag of candy. Um, he took me seriously. You know, I was goofing around. I was just being silly. I wasn't even near Halloween time, probably. I was just being me. And he took me seriously, and he ran all the way up to the grocery store and brought back, back this bag of candy for me. But, you know, um, when you don't know the language, and when there's a language barrier, often there's miscommunication. Um, you know, there's that famous line um, that Kennedy... He's in Berlin, um, and he stands up and he says, Ich bin ein Berliner, uh, which basically meant in German, he was trying to say, I'm a, Berlin, I'm a Berliner, I'm one of you. But instead he said, I'm a jelly roll. Um, he should have said, I, Ich bin Berliner, and left out the Ein. But, but instead he said, I'm a jelly roll. Um, you know, there are these these things that get confused with, with language. And, and sometimes those little things create tension. And in our passage today, we're in Acts chapter 6, by the way, um, the same passage that we read for our scripture reading this morning. And there's, there's tension. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those um, types of tensions that if you'd been there, you probably would have been able to feel it in the room. Um, there, there's tension, there's misunderstanding. Um, there are two groups of people in the early church, um, two groups of Christians um, at that point. There are the, the Hebrew Jews that have become a part of this developing sect within Judaism you know, that we now know as Christianity. But at that point, they were still Jews. And so there were the, the Hebrews, those who were from Palestine, um, from that area, the area that we associate with Israel today. And then there were the Hellenistic Jews that were, um, they probably had, you know, a, they had a Jewish background, but they'd been deported in different places, and they lived in other places in the Mediterranean. And so they were more like, they were Greek-speaking Jews. So you had the Hebrew-speaking Jews, and you had the Greek-speaking Jews. And these two groups of Jews are trying to get along together <coughs> in the church. And the, the Greek-speaking Jews, they come to the Hebrew-speaking Jews, they come to the, the disciples, and they say, you know what, our, our widows are being left out in the, in the daily distribution of food. Because at that point, in the early history of the church, you know, they were taking care of all of the people that were part of the church. They were taking care of their neighbors. They were taking care of other people. And so they would, you know, they would portion out food and, and take food to people that didn't have any way to get it otherwise, that didn't have any other provision. And they'd, they'd take care for them. They'd take it to them. And 
they'd have these offerings. We'd seen in, the, in, an, in chapter 5 where people were selling land, and they would take the money, and they would use it to take care of the people. And the Greek-speaking Jews or Hellenistic Jews come to the Hebrew-speaking Jews and say, you know what? Our widows are being left out. You know, the, the Hebrew widows um, the, the, um, are being taken care of, but our widows are not being taken care of. And so the disciples um, call together all of the people. You know, what could have been um, something that was divisive and, and could have blown up and caused issues and caused hard feelings. Instead, they called all of the, all of the Christians, all of the disciples together at that point. And, and they said this. They say, um, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. You know, we could take care of this situation, but if we try to solve this situation ourselves, meaning the, the 12, what we think of as the 12 disciples or the apostles, like Peter, John, um, some of those that followed Jesus, you know, we could, we could try to deal with this, but if we try to deal with this problem, we're going to be so focused on making sure that grandma over here gets, you know, the Greek-speaking grandma over here gets her food, and, and Hebrew-speaking grandma over here gets her food. We're going to be so busy trying to manage all of this that we're not going to have time to do the thing that, that we most need to do, and that is to proclaim the word, to do the ministry of the word. And so they, they choose these seven men. Now, as you go down, in chapter 5, one of the things that, or in um, verse 5 of chapter 6, one of the things that you'll notice as you read these names, well, you may not notice, but one of the things about these names is that they're all Greek names. They're not Jewish names. So they, they, um, they chose Stephen. It's a Greek name. Um, they describe him as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They also chose Philip, who we'll see later on. And then they choose four other men who we never hear about again, um, but they also have Greek names, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, um, who wasn't even a Jew. He was a convert to Judaism. So he'd, um, he'd been born outside of the Jewish faith but become a Jew. And so they choose these men. They, they basically choose Greek-speaking men to watch out for these widows to take care of them and to make sure that the food is distributed both to the to the Hebrew um, speaking wid widows and to the Greek speaking widows. Um, it's kind of like I was in a meeting the other day and um, someone was said, you know what, we just, and he happened to be African American and he said, we need more people that look like me in our schools. You know, it's that kind of thing. If you want to make sure something's taken care of, you know, appoint someone who understands the culture, who understands what's going on. Um, so they, they appointed, they chose men who looked like these people, who spoke this language, who spoke Greek, um, and appointed them um, to take care of them. They said they were full of the Holy Spirit and, um, and, and had wisdom. 
Um, so, they're, so they appoint these people. Now, the thing about chapter 6 in Acts, we've been making our way through Acts, is that chapter 6 is a bit of a transition. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, um, it says this in verse 8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's speaking to the apostles, to the 12 disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And witnesses is a, is a really big word in Acts. It's a word that we've been looking at. And then we've talked about witness, being a witness is, it's not just, you know, sometimes we have this idea of, of being a witness for Jesus as, um, you know, making sure that we, we talk and we tell people about Jesus, and that's part of it. But what's going on here is they were witnesses. They'd been witnesses to Jesus's life. They'd walked and talked with Jesus. They'd been witnesses to Jesus's death when he was crucified. They'd been witnesses to his resurrection when he was raised from the dead. And here in Acts chapter 1, they're about to be witnesses to his ascension when he's taken up from earth, taken up to heaven, taken up to the right-hand side of God the Father. They've been witnesses. The 12 apostles have been witnesses of all this. And Jesus is saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's, that's kind of a, that, that verse there gives us a sense that it's kind of like a blueprint for the book of Acts. It tells us where we're headed. It tells us where, where the book of Acts is headed. And in Acts chapter 6, we're still in Jerusalem. But we're starting to cross cultural and language boundaries and barriers um, because there's this, this conflict between the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews who are both a part of the church, who are both seeking to worship Jesus, and yet they speak a different language and they have a different cultures. And so we're starting, we're starting to head out a little bit. In Acts chapter 6, um, is, is taking us from Jerusalem and starting to take us out to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 7 next week, we'll, get, you know, we'll, we'll find out what happens. The church ends up being scattered. Um, but, there's, but one of the things we see at the very beginning of, of Acts chapter 6 is there's, this, there's a problem, right? I mean, there's... There's a problem, and there's a problem that could blow up into a major conflict and hard feelings and hurt feelings and dissension and destruction and all kinds of things. Um, but they call the people together. They come up with a solution. Um, and it seems to be working. It says, so the word of God, this is chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 7. It says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem, we're still in Jerusalem, increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, why Luke tells us that a large number of priests become obedient to the faith, I don't know. Maybe it's a hint that there's more to come. Things are about to get stirred up even more. 
And then we focus in on one of the seven. So they'd appointed these seven men to wait on tables. Um, But it's interesting to me that Stephen is described as a man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. This is in verse 8 of chapter 6. So here's this man who they've appointed to solve this problem, this language barrier problem, to, to help manage this distribution of food so that both sets of widows are watched out for. But he's doing more than that, isn't he? God has given him special gifts. And you might think, we might think, well, you know, God's appointed me for this. God's appointed me to take care of these things. But don't let that We mustn't let that limit us and limit what God wants to do through us. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Who else performed great wonders and signs among the people? If you look at the book of Acts, it's not just Stephen, but earlier in the book of Acts, the disciples, the twelve apostles, are described as performing great wonders and acts among the people. We go all all the way back to to the Gospel of Luke and to the Gospels in general. Jesus is described as performing great wonders and signs among the people. Jesus' ministry is continuing. You know, Jesus' ministry, it started with Jesus. It's continuing through through the disciples, through the 12 apostles. And now we see it continuing even through Stephen, who's a Greek. You know, he has a Greek name. He's a Hellenistic Jew. We see Jesus' ministry continuing. And it says here, Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. So these were... Hellenistic Jews. We're assuming they weren't a part of the church. They were, they were Jewish. They weren't at all joined into this, this community that was rising up, that was following Jesus. And they begin to argue with him. Here's another problem. We started the chapter with a problem. Here's another problem. It says, opposition arose. And, it, and in verse 10 it says, but... They could not stand up against the wisdom and the spirit. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the spirit gave him as they spoke. They could not stand up against the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gave Stephen. So they took matters into their own hands, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. Does that sound familiar at all? Think about the Gospels. What happens before Jesus is crucified? They stir up trouble. They stir up trouble amongst the people. They stir up trouble amongst the elders and the teachers of the law. And it says they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, which is like the high Jewish ruling council. You know, that's the, those, are the, those are the hot shots. Those are the people that are in charge of things, both within, within Judaism, within the law there, but also just within, within religion, but they also control a lot of the politics of the area. Um, so they bring him before the Sanhedrin. 
They produce false witnesses who testify, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against, this, against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, we're not going to get into the rest of the story. We're kind of left hanging today. But if you, if you want to read the rest of the story, if you go home and read Acts chapter 7, it tells us the rest of the story of Stephen and what happens. But, but we have, we have you know, two problems that are presented in this chapter. And, and one is resolved, and another one kind of comes out of it. Yeah. Another one kind of comes out of it. And, and we're going to see next week, you know, how, it, how it's resolved, what, what happens. Um, but here are some things that I want, um, want us to think about today. Um, the first one is this, and we'll have this on the screen. What is troubling you right now? What is troubling you right now? Another way of saying it is, what's your problem? What's your problem? What is troubling you right now? It might be something in your own life. You know, it might be some difficulty, some challenge in your own life. It might be that you look around and you see injustice, and it just troubles your soul. You know, there was a, there was a problem at the beginning of this chapter. The, the Hellenistic or Greek-speaking widows were getting left out. What is troubling you right now? What's your problem? Okay, you got that? Just kind of hold it in your, in your mind. All right, here's the second question. <clears throat> what does Jesus' life, resurrection, and ascension say to your troubling situation? I'm going to say that again. What does Jesus' life, the way that Jesus lived his life, so think about the Gospels. Think about the way that Jesus lived his life. Healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding people, caring people, offering forgiveness. What does Jesus' life, and I, I left out death. You need to include that. What does Jesus' death? Jesus gave up himself. He gave himself up to his enemies. He didn't have to do that, but he gave himself up. What does Jesus' life, the way he lived his life, the way he gave himself up at his death, his resurrection, he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead. God raised him from the dead. There is victory over death. Death was destroyed. Sin was destroyed. And then his ascension. Jesus is alive. We may not see him here. Um, but he's not just gone. He's alive. He's ascended into heaven. And his, his ascending into heaven, at his ascension, the angel said, he's going to come right back down the way you saw him go up. He's returning. There's hope. What does Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension say to your troubling situation? That's, 
a question that I have to sit and think about a while. I have to sit and ponder, and I may not, never completely know the answer. But Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension affect how we respond to life, affect how we respond to those troubling situations, to those problems. They impact them. They not only impact how we respond to them, they, they change them. They have an effect on our problems. Jesus touches our problems in our troubling situations. He is active. He is not absent. You know, he's not just missing. He's here. What does Jesus, or another way of saying it would be, what does Jesus mean for your problem? What does Jesus mean for your problem? And then here's the third question. How might Jesus be inviting you to be a witness of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension in this troubling situation? How might Jesus be inviting you to be a witness of his life, resurrection, and ascension in this troubling situation? Another way of saying it would be, what does it look like to be Jesus' agent? The disciples were with Jesus. They walked with him. They talked with him. They slept with him, you know, in the same room. They were with him for three years, accompanying him. They were witnesses of his life. If we want to be witnesses of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension, what does that mean for us? means we need to be with Jesus. How can we be with Jesus that we might witness him? Not just witness about him. So often we, we talk about, you know, I'm, I need to witness about, I need to witness more. I w- need to witness about God. I mean, that's part of it. But how can we be with Jesus in such a way that we are witnesses of him? You know what? Sometimes that's, that looks like this. When we're witnesses of someone, when, when we're eyewitnesses of someone or something, we're not necessarily doing anything. We're watching them. We're just, we were there. We just, we saw it. How can we put ourselves in a place that we see Jesus? I think, you know, one of the ways is that we just get in, we just get someplace and we just get quiet. We just turn off our cell phones, turn off all of the distractions and and pick up the Bible. And we're just with Jesus. Just spend time with Jesus. 
maybe spend time in prayer, put ourselves in a place where we can be witnesses of him, where we can witness to his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. The other thing about witnesses and acts is that they don't just watch Jesus. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. You will be, another way of describing it will be, you will be my agents. You're the ones that my ministry is continuing through. We are Jesus' agents. We are Jesus' hands and feet in this world. His ministry continues through us. We've been going back to this over and over again. But we are invited to join Jesus in his ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father for the sake of the world. We're invited to be Jesus' witnesses. So what does it look like to be Jesus' agent? Agents have agency. God gives us agency. He gives us the ability to choose, the ability to, to witness him. So how can we put ourselves in a place to witness him? Thank you.